Welcome to episode number 33 of Off the Shelf. I believe, I believe, I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Hi. My name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over a hundred countries, and we're glad that you could join us. The aim of Off the Shelf is to help people know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The podcast is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. This week, we are continuing with part two of our interview with Abdu Murray, a former Muslim who is now a follower of Jesus Christ. In your book, A Grand Central Question, which is actually sitting on my bedstand and I'm about halfway through it, you provide three reasons why Muslims should believe the Trinity. Mm-hmm. But I think these reasons uh, equally apply to those who say they're Christians but yet reject the doctrine of the Trinity. And I'd I'd like to kind of go through these one at a time. Sure. Uh, First of all, you state that the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. Can you, for our listeners, kind of cover the main passages that confirm uh, a Trinitarian understanding of God? Oh, absolutely. One thing uh, first is to see, I think, Old Testament verses that actually go through and show us that um, there is a Trinitarian, uh, or at least a multi-personal understanding of God. Mm-hmm. First, as I said before, the Shema. There's also um, uh, Psalm 110, where the Lord says unto my Lord, and you have these differentiations within. Yeah. You have God talking to God. Yeah. Uh, you also have Jeremiah 23 and um, uh, various places as well, where you see God talking to God as if the other person he's talking to is God himself. God himself yeah. um, you see this plurality that's used, whom shall I, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Um, and it doesn't mean the angels. And this idea of a plurality of majesty, which is something that people often say, is that, oh, when the Old Testament refers to God as a we or an us, it is a statement of what's called a plural of majesty. Well, the idea of a plural of majesty where a court or a king would call himself we or us, that is a relatively recent invention that had had no place in ancient, ancient Hebrew, especially the Hebrew around the time of the writing of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So you have Old Testament documents that say that. But then you look at the New Testament, and uh, and in the book actually, on page 195, I actually do have a, a chart of the scriptures that refer to um, uh, all three persons of the Trinity as distinct and as God. So for, so, and and I break it down in the graph where it's, uh, it shows where the father is God, where the son is God and where the Holy spirit is God in various modes. So give you an example, the father is called God in Philippians chapter one, verse two. Now that's not surprising because Jesus constantly refers to God as father. Um, but, uh, just as one other example, uh, the son, Jesus himself is called God, John 1, 1, John 1, 4, uh, and John 1, 14, um, and Colossians 2, 9. And then the Holy Spirit is called God in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. Um, uh, <clears throat> God, uh, all three are called creator, Isaiah 44, 24, and Isaiah 64, 8. The Father is creator. In John 1, 3, 
the Son is the Creator. In fact, in John 1, 3, whenever I've used, um, whenever people have shown, tried to, like Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, tried to explain away John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, they say that can be translated as a God. Well, that is a possible, although tortured, translation of the Greek. Yeah. When you look at John 1, 3, it settles all debates because you ask someone in John 1, 3, who is being spoken about? And they say, that's clearly the word or the son. Uh, and I asked them, who is that? And they'd say, well, that's Jesus. Great. Excellent. Um, now, what does it say in John 1, 3? It specifically says in John 1, 3, that through him, the son, all things were made and nothing that was made was made except by him. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if he made all things and he is a creature of the ability to create, and he's also in the category of all things, well, he couldn't have created himself. That makes no sense. So if he creates all things, then he has to be an uncreated thing yeah. himself. And so when you have this discussion in John 1, 1 of the word that creates all things, was with God and was God, you automatically have a subject-object distinction. Why say the word was with God if the word is God yeah. and is identical with the Father? You'd have to have the word with is useless there unless you have at least dual personalities yes, yes. within within the Godhead. That's exactly. So I'm, I think it's very hard-pressed for someone to say John 1, 1 does teaches modalism. It's, it's, the, the, the words actually make no sense. Yeah. Um, then, then among other places, too, for example, one of the things that I think is really interesting is the way um, that in the, um, uh, the New Testament, um, both the, uh, all, I mean, all three of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit speak, they actually speak, Matthew 3.17 says the Father speaks. In Luke chapter 5, verse 20, and in 7, verse 48, the Son speaks uh, from, in a divine sense. And the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8, verse 29, 11, verse 12, and 13, 2, the Holy Spirit speaks. And these things, I think, actually um, show us that all three speak. Now, what someone might say, well, in a modalistic sense, um, the Father speaks, and then the Son speaks, and then the Holy Spirit speaks as in these three modes in which God exists. But of course, that does violence to the text, because when you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, when the Son is praying to the Father, if the Son is the new mode of the Father, who is the Son actually praying to, yeah. other than to self, in a sort of self-referential way, like me talking to myself, like, where did I leave my car keys? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not actually conversing with myself. I don't expect a response back. I expect a, sort of an epiphany of, oh, where's my keys at? But I'm not actually seeking help um, from another source. And why would I say, thy will be done? I would never say to myself, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. If my will is thy will, in the sense of it being exactly the same, the words, again, make no sense. So if Jesus, the, the, who, is the, who is God the Son, is actually speaking to anybody. He is speaking to God the Father because they have two distinct wills. So those are some of the areas. Yeah, and, and I think John 17, right at the end, where Jesus prays, he said, because you loved me before the mm. foundation of the world. And, Absolutely. I mean, you know, Jesus is not hugging himself, right? That just right. doesn't make any sense. Right. right, and and it would it would absolutely do violence to it because it, and give me the return me to the glory that I had with you again before the foundation of the world. Yeah, if they're exactly the same, um, there's a 
it almost sounds if you were to say that Jesus and the Father are are they're not distinct personhoods. God, uh, God the Son, and God the Father are not distinct personhoods. Then it sounds like Jesus doesn't even understand who he is, or or has some kind of a, a mental problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, which of course he doesn't. But if there's a distinction between the Son and the Father, at the same time, and that's where modalism I think breaks down. Where modalism seems to be uh, um, appealing is that it seems to suggest that um, God is the, the God is the Father in one mode and then the Son in another mode. But when you have Jesus simultaneously speaking to the Father yeah. as the Son, that dissipates all of that. Um, it just seems to dissipate all of it. And then Jesus says um, specifically to his disciples in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 that he will send the spirit of the truth. And he, that is a distinct person, yeah. and he will tell you all these things or breathing, bring all these things to your remembrance or to your mind. Again, another subject-object distinction. So Jesus makes a distinction with him and the yeah, Father yeah. and him and the Spirit of the truth, who is the Holy Spirit. So I think Scripture really does do a nice job of teaching yeah. that Jesus is God, the right. Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and they're all God at the same time while remaining distinct. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Now, the second point you make in your book is that the Trinity does not defy logic. Mm. What's the logical basis for the Trinity? Well, uh, the, the first thing I have is always what I call my modest proposal, um, <clears throat> is that all I want to do is show somebody that the Trinity doesn't defy our logic, though it does, in fact, transcend our ability to understand everything 100%. Yeah. So here's what I would say, is that the first thing we have to understand is that because the, if the Trinity is hard to understand, that shouldn't bother us. Yeah. Um, people often use this argument where it's just you can't even remotely wrap your mind around it, so therefore it can't be true. Well, actually, my, my response is the opposite. If you could wrap your mind around every way that God exists, then maybe your God is a made-up God. Yeah. Because if, if humans can understand him quite easily, then humans probably made him up. Yeah. It would seem to me that you'd have a God who doesn't defy logic, but also does transcend our full understanding. And that would actually comfort me yeah. that the God I believe in is too big for humans to fully comprehend. If yeah. he's easily comprehensible, then he's more like Zeus than he is like the actual, <laughs> yeah, than he yeah, is yeah, Yahweh. Exactly right, yeah. Um, so I say the logical basis is this. We have to understand what the Trinity is and what it is not. Yeah. I think people often mis mis misunderstand what the Trinity is. They think it's three gods in one God or three persons in one person. Now that would be a, a, a rank contradiction. Um, you can't have three gods in one God. That would be silly. Uh, nor three persons in only one person. That would also be silly. Um, what the Trinity is, the definition is that he is one God in his nature and three distinct persons. And that requires us to understand the distinction between something's in nature, what it is, and something's personhood, which is who it is. Mm -hmm. So if I were to hold up a bottle, um, or like my iPhone, for example, and I were to ask anybody, what is this? Um, They'd say phone or you know pocket computer or whatever, but I'd say what is its basic nature? It's 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 essential whatness. Someone would say, well, non-living thing. Okay, fair. Now if I were to point at myself, and I'd say, well, what am I? And eventually they'd have to say something along the lines of sentient being or human yeah. or living thing. Great, I have a nature and my phone has a nature. Uh, we both have whatness, but you can't go to the phone. Who is that? because it doesn't have personhood. I guess yeah. with Siri, it semi does, but not really. <laughs> yeah. um, 
uh, it doesn't have a real personhood. And if you talk to it too long, they, they, they come and take you away. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but you can ask of me, who is that? I have a who-ness. So the phone has a nature, but it doesn't have a personhood or a center of consciousness. I have both nature and personhood. So we can see right away that something's nature and its personhood are not the same thing. One is what it is. The other one is who it is. So it's not a contradiction to say that God is one in his nature, one in his what. He is a divine being, Mm -hmm. but he has three distinct personhoods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. because personhood and nature are not the same thing. If they were the same thing, it'd be nonsense, but they're not. That's one, that's one thing I think, Rod. The second thing though, is I think that the, 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 uh, I believe to be, uh, what I would say is the theological necessity of, um, uh, God being, um, a, uh, um, a triune being, but that's another, that's the third sort of part of what I was talking about in terms basically you you talk about the trinity proving that god is the greatest possible being over and above a unitarian or or a an islamic concept of god absolutely so how do you how did you arrive at that conclusion well um careful thought on that one but then i remember thinking you know uh I'm a big believer in this and this goes back to what we're saying about the role of apologetics um uh is to be winsome and and not argumentative. Prevent, present argument in the sense of you present a reasoned response, but not argument in terms of a lot of yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a big believer in this. If you find out what someone cares about, and then see, does the gospel in some way affirm that while saying, but but the answer is different than you'd like to think. It's here. That's a great way to do it. Uh, it was Blaise Pascal who made the comment, he said that um, men despise religion because they fear that it may be true. The cure for this is to show them that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. Mm-hmm. And then he says, make it attractive, make good people wish it were true, and then show them that it is. Mm-hmm. In other words, show people where what they wish was true in their worldview is actually true yeah. um, in the gospel. And I think this applies to the Trinity in spades. What I wanted to believe as a Muslim was that God was utterly and incomparably great. Now, Muslims share that belief with Christians, of course. Um, uh, Allahu Akbar is the statement all Muslims make all over the world. It's not just a terrorist chant, actually. Muslims all over the world say this statement. It literally means God is bigger, but the connotation is God is greater. There is none greater than God. He is the greatest conceivable being. Mm -hmm. Of course, every Christian who reads the Bible, whether they're a Trinitarian or a modalist or or a Unitarian, believes that God is incomparably great. Uh, the Psalms talk about it. Uh, you, you can't get away from the Bible without reading about God's greatness. Uh, but here's the problem. If God is incomparably great, then he would have what's called aseity, which means that he is self-subsistent. He needs nothing to be who he is. He, everything needs him, and he needs nothing to be who he is. That's true greatness. Otherwise, he becomes dependent on something. Um, but whether you're a, a, Christian, a Unitarian or you're a, a Trinitarian or you're a Muslim, uh, you believe a couple of things. One, God is eternal, so mm-hmm. God never began. All other things began. Um, you also believe that God is relational. 
for Muslims, they believe that God is al-Wadud, which means the loving one or full of loving kindness. Mm -hmm. He is intensely relational. The Bible doesn't just say that God is loving. It says that God is love. Yeah. So you have this tremendous um, uh, uh, state, uh, belief in God's relationality, that God is a relational being in almost all these different iterations of faith. So here's the problem. If God is eternal, and he's the only one who is eternal, mm -hmm. and he's relational, that means that before creation, when there was nothing but God, he existed in a completely alone state. Now, if he's relational, he's uh, that, that, that's, that's part and parcel of what it means to be God, then he needs to create something that's not him to be relational toward. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, he's incapable of being who he is. So in a in a in a in a Islamic modal uh, monad concept of Unitarianism, he's deficient. Even in a modalist sense, God the Father existing from past eternal is deficient because he needs something else to exist in order to be who he is. But a Muslim Unitarian believes God is great, and a modalist Unitarian believes God is great. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. The Trinity solves the problem though, because a God who is great must ha need nothing to be who he is. Mm -hmm. And in both the Unitarian senses, he needs to create to be who he is. The Trinity solves the problem because God exists eternally as one being in three persons, three divine centers of consciousnesses, which are distinct from each other. So the Father eternally loves the Son, and the Son eternally loves the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit eternally loves the Father and the Son. And on it goes in eternity in the community of the Trinity. And that makes perfect sense of what yeah. the Bible says. When the Bible says God is love, it's not saying God is loving. It says that God is love. And that makes sense if he eternally exists in a state of love within himself. Uh -huh. And he shared that love with us. Absolutely. And that's the other part that just wraps it up so beautifully, doesn't it, Rod? Yeah, yeah. That he does not need us to have relationship. No. He's not lonely. He wasn't lonely before the creation of the world. Um, he was fulfilled in perfect relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So why create us to mess it up? Um not for his sake. He doesn't need us to exist so that he can have relationship. He creates us so that we can have relationship. It is a self-giving act. Mm -hmm. He gets nothing out of it other than the sheer pleasure of giving of himself. What's interesting about that, Rod, is that there was an atheist um, philosopher who said – there's a contradiction in Christian theology. He said, Christians believe that God is perfect and perfectly loving. He said there's a contradiction there. If God is perfect, then he needs nothing. But if God is perfectly loving, then he needs something because love always requires an object. Uh -huh. Love requires some give, uh, someone to give love to and to receive love from. So <laughs> if God needs something, he can't be perfect. If yeah. God isn't perfect, then, he's, then, then Christians can't believe in a God who is truly perfect. So you can't have a God who is perfectly loving and a God who is perfect. And that's why the Trinity – William Hasker is a wonderful guy who talked about this – that is not a problem for the Trinitarian. For the Unitarian, that is a problem because their God is deficient in that sense. Um, what they wish was true cannot be true yeah. in Unitarianism, yeah. but it can be true in Trinitarianism. Yeah, and that, and that is just such a beautiful description of, of why we can say that God is love. I mean, he's the self-existing one. The, mm -hmm. the most common description of the Trinity is God in three persons, but the Trinity, Trinitarian concept of person 
I guess as it pertains to the Godhead, it's not the same as a concept of of an individual. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And it and it and it doesn't mean that the three persons of the Trinity are severable. I found it uh, interesting that theologians have expressed this in the term that they call perichoresis, which means that the three persons are so interwoven that what one does, they all do. Can can you comment on that and the use of the word person? Oh, sure, absolutely. I think you're right to point out that um, we have to understand our terms. One of the most important questions anybody can ask anybody else during a conversation is the question, what do you mean? Yeah. Because oftentimes we think we're saying the same thing and we're arguing over something that no one's actually agreeing on yet. Um, you have to come to that, 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 that sense of um, agreement. So when I say person, the first thing that pops in your head is someone you know. Mm-hmm. or yourself. Um, because we think of, when I say person, we think human being, yeah. uh, human individual. And you're right to point out, that's not what I'm referring to. Uh, you could actually interchange the word person in all the discussions we've been having with center of consciousness or um, uh, mind, yeah. uh, three minds or three centers of consciousness. If you just translated person into that. So when I say person, I don't mean an individual human being. I mean a being who interacts with the outside world in a meaningful sense where that being recognizes a distinction between the, uh, itself and every other being. So um, when I interact with my wife, I recognize a, a differentiation between our two minds. Um, now God has uh, three persons, but what we mean by person is he has three minds and they're not identical to each other in their volitions, in their no. uh, in their abilities to think, they 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 think and interact independently in one sense, but concomitantly or exactly the same in another sense. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, example is uh, as I said before, the Bible describes God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all as Creator. It describes the the God the uh, all three persons of the Godhead as um, uh, the resurrectors of Jesus. Um, Romans 8, 7 says that the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus. Yeah. John 2, 19 says Jesus would do it himself. Yeah. And in Thessalonians 1, 10, the Father resurrected Jesus. Um, so you see three distinct personhoods talked about, three distinct minds, but they're all God. Um, so you see uh, uh, that person isn't individual but they all act in a very similar and exactly the same way. But there's also distinctions because as we pointed out before, Jesus prays to the father. He's ministered to by the Holy spirit at Jesus baptism. You have all three present at the same time where you have the father speaking, uh, you have the dove descending and you have Jesus in the water. So you have this, this, this wonderful unity of diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And that really is me a key. Yeah. The idea yeah. of unity in diversity. Um, it describes so much of the world we see around us as a, um, a unity of diversities. And this is a reflection of the creator himself, isn't it? Um, where you have unity of diversities. So you do have this inseparability where Jesus uh, can't be cut off from God the Son cannot be cut off from the Trinity because then he'd cease to be God. It'd be like a, a limb severed from a body, so to speak, and it would wither and die. Yeah. It would cease to be divine itself. You can't have that. Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. can have a distinction of personality. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly right. 
Um, I want to deal with some of the criticisms that, that oneness people or modalists uh, have with respect to the Trinity. And, and modalists generally believe that Jesus is the Father, and they're one and mm-hmm. the same, different modes. And one of their primary proof texts for this conclusion is Isaiah 9, 6, which states, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in their line of reasoning, since there's only one Father, it follows that Jesus must be God the Father. How do you answer that right. criticism? Mm. Well, uh, a couple of couple of ways to do this actually is that um, uh, first, of course, as, as you know, there's the uh, ages-old statement that any text taken out of context is really the proof text. Yeah, yeah. That's meant to justify a pretext. Yeah. Um, uh, we come with a certain amount of um, uh, bias when we read a scripture. All of us do that, by the way. We all yeah. have to over- overcome that very real uh, issue. So it's something we have to all overcome. But here's what I would say. When you look at the, the words themselves in Isaiah 9, 6, for example, when he's called everlasting father, the, 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 I think the more accurately um, uh, the, the, the way to, to describe this is he is called the father of eternity. Uh, the word everlasting um, doesn't, isn't necessarily an adjective that describes father. father. It, it is a a um, subject that describes what the father is the father of. So it could mean father, meaning the father of eternity. So you uh-huh. can easily uh, translate this verse as he's called wonderful counselor, the mighty God or God of might um, and the father of eternity or the father. And in, in, in I think one of the most strict ways to say it is father of perpetuity. <laughs> it's yeah, a little bit yeah. more legal sounding yeah, when you say yeah, it that way, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it, it could easily mean the, the, the father of eternity. And of course, this doesn't bother uh, a Trinitarian because, as again, it goes right back to John one three that by him all things were made, and nothing made, was yeah. made that was made, and yeah. he was with God in the beginning, so he eternally existed. And then there's another whole line of scriptures that are scriptures that are often quoted in support of uh, modalism from John, where Jesus seems to be identifying himself as the Father, uh, which would include John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. John twelve forty five, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. John fourteen mm-hmm. nine, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How do you mm-hmm. see these texts in light of the doctrine of the Trinity? Mm. Well, again, we, I think I think the way to, to look at this is to say you have to take a look at all the Scripture in the context. Now, if I were to say, if I were to just hear Jesus say, let's say he just ju- fell out of the sky, looked at me, and said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Yeah. And that's all he ever said to me. I think that would be a tough thing for me to say, Jesus isn't the Father. Yeah. And then he went right back up the sky and never saw him again. That is taking it completely out of context. And of course, no one would ever think that Jesus did that because we don't we know he didn't do that. So we have to look at what he says when he says, I and the Father are one. Or if he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Um, uh, it, in light of everything else that Jesus has said. So that might seem like a clear statement, but then you have to deal with the fact that he also says other things like um, uh, that... Um, uh, I've come to do the will of he who sent me. So who is he who sent him? It's yeah. not a guy named Dave down the street. <laughs> yeah, it's the exactly father, right. clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And if you sent someone, there's a subject-object distinction. So how do you deal with when Jesus says, I and the father are one, and then he says, we're not one? How do you deal with that? You have to deal with both. Yeah. So in order to understand both scriptures, which I think are clear, you have to read them together. 
And the Trinity, see, the Trinity actually solves the problem. A one, uh, someone who's a Unitarian or a modal, uh, whether a modalist variety or other varieties has to deal with what seems like an inherent contradiction yeah. where Jesus says this and then he says that. Um, um, uh, he says, one, the Father sent me, and then he says, I and the Father are one. Well, did he send himself? And, he, uh, he, and, and when he prays to the Father, is he praying to himself? How do you make sense of these two yeah, things? Yeah. Trinity yeah. says they are one and the same in their nature. So when he says, I and the Father are one, he means one in our nature. And then um, he's, when he says, the Father sent me, or I've come to do the Father's will, or my Father is working until now, and I am working until now, mm-hmm. he's making the distinction between the two. Yeah. He makes sense of both the Trinity, makes sense because they are one in their nature, and three in their persons. The Son is not identical in personhood to the Father. That makes sense of all of it. Because you know, Rod, as you know, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. No, no, exactly. Uh, created the word Trinity to explain what the Bible teaches. Um, And they were struggling to say, how do we understand this? How do we understand his divinity in light of his dependence on the Father? How do we do this and this distinction? And that's what I think answers it. So if you took those scriptures, go out of context, I could see why someone would say, oh, obviously he's identical with the Father. But if you take them in context uh, and and juxtapose them with all the other um, things, the problem goes away. Yeah. We're going to end the podcast there for this week as we try to keep our episodes under 30 minutes. We invite you to join us next week for the third and final installment of our interview with Abdu Murray. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you are welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week and thanks for listening. He said he would send something that would keep us till he come again. He said it was called the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe that Jesus died, was buried and rose again. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe.